vampire. Vampire. Oh dear. Oh. I'm still recovering from vampire wine. I mean, look, my my understanding is that you are not an easy person to inebriate. I am an expensive date. Yeah, for this wine to have um there's gotta be something in that blood that really got you. I'm not sure what it is. Something something a little different. I, I understand that you you had a uh, a bit a bit of wine. Yeah. While on your stream. I live streamed. Yeah, yeah. So you got drunk and almost showed your ass. And not in the metaphorical sense. Oh, in the very <laughs> literal sense. On your stream at twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling. And it's twitch.tv slash Jim Sterling, where sometimes I flop on the bed a bit to look a bit sexy <laughs> because I'm a I'm a mentally ill attention seeker. The person who called me that online was very correct. Very genuinely correct on both mm. counts. Um, so I was seeking attention and yeah, yeah, my, my, I had my, my dress and I didn't have leggings or anything and the dress went up quite high, Mm. just, just stopping at where it's okay. Just ending at the terms of service. Just ending at the terms. Yeah. I didn't expose my terms of service, (laughs) But, but yeah, I, we we went to the off license where they had ribbon saucy knickknacks and cough drop sweets. Oh, by the way, oh, so I was oh. well in. They've got some proper like like old school sweet shop sh- uh, sweets yeah. in that shop. I want to go in again, but I don't know if it's okay to just go into the alcohol shop and be like, "Can I have these sweets and crisps, please?" I know it's okay. I think that's very okay. Yeah, I know it's perfectly fine, but because I am the way I am. Something says to me, like, like my brain just says, you can't go in there and just get sweets, you stupid bint. I understand the bit of the brain that says you're breaking the rules, that's not the purpose of the shop, but also, I know if I was working in an off-license, I'd be very happy about the person who just came in to buy pick and mix. I'd be like, oh god, you, you're not going to come back later complaining about the alcohol not being good and being a nuisance. You're just a happy little friend with sweets. Yeah. More power to you. That's what that I would like. That I'd basically like yeah. to. I'd like to run an off license that wants to be a sweet shop. <laughs> and that's my that's my dream. And, and and you're just eternally disappointed that you are not right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I fantasize about that. I don't want to run a sweet shop. I want to run an off license that isn't a sweet shop. I feel like if you run an off license, but you also have sweet shop sweets in there, I think what you're ultimately trying to do is get adults in who want to buy sweet shop sweets, but don't want to be seen as childish. So they're like, oh, oh no, no, I just picked, I picked them up while I was getting alcohol because oh, that's yeah. it. That's the, that's, yeah, that's the rub. The stealth sweet shop, the adult yeah. sweet shop. Um, but yes, so I I am a notoriously... I'm hard to get drunk. It's hard to get me drunk. Or if I do get drunk, I will process it really quickly. So I might as well have not bothered. Um, I'm basically Captain America, but just the bit where he can't get drunk. None of the other bits. <laughs> so we went get some wine, which for me, a bottle of wine is pre-game. Yeah. A, bo- a whole bottle of wine for me is that'll get me in the mood for something that will get me drunker, but that tastes disgusting. Yeah. It'll get you over the I don't want to taste spirits hurdle. Exactly. Exactly. That's what a bottle of wine does for me. So we're in there. There's lots of wine there. I'm like, let's get a bottle of wine. And then Phoenix wanted to get Tiki Fire rum. This is the like 75% stuff. 75.5% ABV on this fucker. Mm -hmm. So every shot is a double shot. And I'm like, right. The wine will get me in the mood to tolerate the tiki fire. <laughs> I 
I haven't touched the tiki fire. Need to. And I'm hungover as fuck. Dracula's wine is strong shit. Yeah, don't fuck with Dracula's own wine. Look, he's he's fermented some blood in there. It's gonna fuck you up a bit, right? So yeah, on the top shelf in the offie was was this wine bottle, which I only got because the label was fancy. It's got an embossed D on it, like a big D. It's a it's got a three D logo. Yeah, it's got a D in sharp <laughs> relief, and there's nothing I love more than a relieved D. So I picked it up. Golden red with a dark glass finish. Really nice. Draculia, Vlad the Impaler. That's the name of the wine. Of course I was going to get it. If I'm going to get drunk on stream, I'm going to get drunk on vampire wine. (laughs) So Draculia, Vlad the Impaler. It's Cabernet Sauvignon, Fetiesa. I'm not sure how to say that one. Niagara and Merlot. Just all of it. Just all the red wine. Just just throwing it all in there. Why why yep. fuck around? You're here to get drunk. Exactly. I didn't know I was going to get drunk off this. I was halfway through when I was like, oh no, something's gone wrong. Oh no, something's gone wrong and now everyone's almost seen my a-hole. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, Dracula. There's several different types of Dracula. We went with Vlad the Impaler. It's just got the best looking bottle. From the depths of history, a character rises to become a symbol of mystery, an icon of passion and an incarnation of unearthly power. Draculia, also known as Vlad the Impaler, was a notorious historical figure, equally hated by his enemies and loved by his people. This wine is dedicated to the Transylvanian Count. So what do you reckon about that? Vampire wine! If you want to get trashed on a bottle of wine... (laughs) Highly recommended. Effective for that, huh? It it gets you drunk. And I'll tell you what, <laughs> it's honestly a pretty good wine. Yeah? It's all it goes down well. I've got a different alcohol story for this this week, and it's a much shorter story. I ended up drinking some homemade plum wine Ooh, that someone that had given good. to a friend of ours who came over at the weekend and the friend brought the wine. And the bottle says something to the effect of have a good look at my plums. Hmm. And it's just very suggestively written in italics, or it's like guzzle my plums or something like that. Hmm. And I'm like, you've got good good taste. I'm into that. Strange plum merchant. <laughs> Come hither, strange plum merchant. Warm yourself by the hearth while I guzzle your plums. It, it was a very nice tasting wine. It was. Yeah. It reminded me of uh, soju, which I think is is Korean rice wine, right. in that it tasted very unalcoholic. It was just uh, mildly floral. It was lovely. I always had you pegged as a bit of a plum guzzler. Oh, I love to guzzle a guzzler. I love to guzzle. Oh, I love a guzzler plum. Oh, <laughs> Professor Plum in the dining room. Oh, I've had him. <laughs> well, Colonel Mustard watched and wanked. Hello, everyone. It's me, Pig Meat Frank. Um. Oh, that's a different podcast. Right, it's me. It's us. It's Podquisition. It's Laura, Kate Dale, it's Conrad Zimmerman, it's Commander Stephanie Sterling, as yeah. featured in Inside the Ropes magazine. Ooh. Yeah, getting getting respected by wrestle publications. My name was in print in a sentence. Uh, hooray! Which is more than has happened in any of the other endeavours in wrestling. <laughs> The UK wrestling scene treats me like I exist. The UK knows what they got with you. They know to recognise you. Pennsylvania could have had this. I am in print. Hell yeah. I have been recognised as part of the business, not an ancillary distraction. 
I am pretty happy with that. As well you should be. They even retweeted the tweet about me being in it. Yeah. So they know I exist. They know you exist. Commander Sterling defeated Zeo Nox. Yeah. Hell yeah. Right? That's in print. That can't be taken away. Can't take that away. They, they done printed it now. I defeated Zeo Nox. The evil crypto-millionaire Tory. They printed it. It's forever now. Printed it. It's real. I'm going to have to get that magazine. Because it's got it's the first time wrestling has said I'm real. <laughs> it's not the first time. Um, there's been a couple of reviews of the North Show. Yeah. And unlike anything that you know, any of the pencil like Northeastern American wrestling community, they a treated me like I existed and b gentered me correctly. So that's doing all right. I mean, that's a that's a good that's a good start. So I right. to- told you the UK would, you know, they'd they'd see what they got with you. Exactly. One of the podcasts uh, reviewing the show did start with a heap, but then immediately corrected. Um, so I'm all right with that because yeah. looking at it, it's clear that I am something very new to them. Yeah. Um, which is good. You know, I'm I'm you know representing anyone who is catching themselves and correcting themselves is learning and that's you know that's it like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna hold feet to the fire for that um but yeah like podcasts like wrestling podcasts talking about the north show have brought me up i've been getting good reviews yeah uh, a commanding presence um uh, 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 theatrical uh, cuts a fantastic promo, but a baker, a, someone who works as a baker at Sainsbury's, said I was the worst part of the North Show. So I've I've chosen to focus on that bit. <laughs> I've chosen to ruminate. Well, you know what I've chosen to focus on this week that maybe would be a distraction. Are we going to distract me? Yeah, with video games. Oh God, I've heard of those. Yeah, have you played any of them? That's the question. I've played some. I'm pretty sure you've played some, Laura, because I know you're a bit of yeah. If there's two things I know about you, right, it's that you're a bugger for a plum wine and you like you like those occasional computed games that we can read about on the worldwide information superhighway. Conrad, have you played any games this week? Uh, yeah, I've played a couple. Oh, Jesus, that's a hat trick. That's all three right? of oh, Yeah. Who wants to start? That's the question. None of us. No, yeah, right. not a single well, one. Thank you all for It's been a great us. show. Really Laura, where it. can people find out uh, all about your, your work and your books? <laughs> you, you can find out about my things after I tell you about some video games, because oh. I'm going to start us off, oh, apparently. Shit. Okay. I played some of the uh, online test, uh, the, the network test, for Nintendo Switch Sports. Oh. The Wii Sports sequel oh. they're making. Wow. Um, it was only playable in little random matchmaking 45-minute chunks for a weekend. Oh, well, that, that's a good way to run a, a, a demo test. You know, when people can only do it for, you know, a short period of time. I mean, it's a... I understand why they do it for network tests, which is they're explicitly trying to... Yeah pressure the put the, the the online network under as mess pressure as possible put some strain sure but yeah it's not all the games were in here and it was all just random you get match made into whatever's available but um it's the games from it's the games from Wii Sports yeah but with fancier me's it looks very swish like there's a there's a good degree of visual polish to it bowling the mode they had available Basically functions very similarly to Wii Sports Bowling, except that they trialed a mode that's basically a battle royale but bowling. Okay. <laughs> you line up 99 people doing bowling, not interacting with each other. You do your, your three, your first three lanes or whatever. 
and then they drop a percentage of the players with the lowest scores get eliminated. This seems to be a thing Nintendo's, like, this indirect Battle Royale, like, with the Mario one and everything. Yeah. Yeah, like, Tetris, they did Tetris 99, Mario 99, they've gotten really into indirect Battle Royales. Yeah. And I kind of think this works. Yeah, I'm I'm much more interested in that than directly interacting with other players, so... Yeah, and, like, here's the thing, like, as, as someone that likes the mechanics of Wii Sports Bowling, but, like, They've, they've clearly changed it a bit. As someone that used to be able to, like, reliably strike, 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 there's clearly something slightly different going on under the hood. It, it seems a little more diff- a little trickier to get, get those strikes. But, like, yeah, this is your incentive to play bowling. Hey, there are other people also bowling. Try and stay in as long as you can. It's kind of a neat, kind of a neat mode. It works all right. Tennis. It's Wii Sports Tennis. The main difference is that it... Mm, I haven't tried them side by side. It feels a little more like your angle is actually making a difference and it's not just... Timing. Timing. Because Wii Sports Tennis 100% is just timing dictates angle. Yeah. If it is still the case that timing dictates angle, they've done a much better job of hiding it. Which, uh, you know, I think however they got there, that works. It's still just Wii Sports Tennis. The one that I thought was most interesting and that most seemed like they put some work into updating it, was the sword fighting from Wii Sports Resort, if either of you ever played that. I did, and that definitely could have used some refining. Yeah, so it is a lot more consistent. I didn't find myself having to resync like the forward point on the controllers at all, in my experience, which is really good. But there's a lot more mechanics going on, and I'm kind of intrigued. You've got choices of different sword loadouts to use that have different abilities. You can have, like, a charged sword where if you hold it, like, to the side for a couple of seconds not slashing, you will do a bigger hit, but you'll be vulnerable. There is, like, a two-handed sword style where you use two controllers for two swords. It borrows kind of heavily from um, punch the Punch-Out remake on the Wii in the way that it handles, like... There is a button direct uh, dictated to putting you into blocking stance, but otherwise you're basically trying to find openings. It it felt comparable to something like Punch-Out in that sense of, like, you are trying to find an opening and get a few hits in and get back to defending. There seems to be a decently, like, a decently good little game there. It's it's one-on-one online multiplayer in, in the demo they had, so you were playing online with other people. I never felt like I was having lag issues. Um, one-to-one motion is a thing that notoriously can have problems with online connections. Zero problem. It worked really well. I was actively impressed with how well one-to-one sword fighting against an opponent on the internet was working. And that's that's a surprise from Nintendo. I never expect... And I guess that's why they're doing a network test for this one. It, it worked really well. It worked surprisingly well for Nintendo Games Online. Oh, wow. You're going to know whether this is for you or not. It's Wii, it's Wii Sports HD. Like, let's call it what it is. It's Wii Sports HD. Do you want slightly better Wii Sports? They're doing a slightly better Wii Sports. I liked Wii Sports, like, when it, when it was brand new, when the Wii was all new and yeah. everything. I played the bowling and the tennis a lot. Yeah. So I am sort of interested. It's one of those things that I will probably end up picking up because occasionally, like, my I'll see my parents, and my mum likes Wii Sports still. My mum's weirdly into video games. She she's got 
she's got a VR headset. She's been playing through um the VR port of Mist recently. But like, yeah, an, an HD Wii Sports. I'm sure I'll find an excuse to play that. Yeah. Yeah. My my folks loved it too, and yeah. you know, I can certainly see that as well. You know, and sometimes you just have people over, and it is such a low stress, like low entry level activity anybody can do. Yeah. Yeah, I'm down for that. If I had friends. <laughs> well, see, it's got online multiplayer now. You don't need friends. No. No. You don't need friends, N- comrade. No, you no. don't need friends. No. <laughs> the internet is not a substitute for friends. <laughs> on internet friendship oh the internet friendship's great yeah just not the <laughs> internet itself <Yeah. laughs> well what about both of you have either of you played anything that you want to talk about all right well i have been um playing a lot more of infernax mm-hmm. i've actually i think i'm done with it now i, I downloaded I, I, it on my switch because i wanted it on my switch before yeah. we started i was gonna have a quick go but then i saw there's a small scratch on my switch screen oh you can't i got depressed you gotta gotta get a new switch now yeah i got depressed so i just laid down oh. phoenix had to go with a dremel but we can't really buff it out so i've just laid down i can't stress how much i enjoy this game, like, it's to the point, this is something that I don't do very often. It's always when I know that I'm really, really into something is that I started, like, looking into sequence breaks in it mm. and uh, <laughs> stuff. Like, you can, in this game, I can say without spoilers, uh, or without vast spoilers, there is a narrative, a forced narrative point in the game. That introduces you to the lair of the final boss. You know, it's one of these things where, you know, you're shown the door and it's like, oh, you've got to go do five castles to open this door. Yeah. You can do the castles before you open that door. You can do them all. Even though you're supposed to get the key to enter the first one at the end of that scripted encounter, you can actually do them all. And I love that. That's that's pretty neat. And there is actually a strategic advantage to doing so. Yeah. Yeah, the day night cycle that the game operates on is suspended up until this event happens. <gasps> ah. So day and night never switches and very very quickly after the point where you would have this encounter if you did it, uh you get the spell that lets you shift it from day to night or you could just stay at an inn. So if you need nighttime for some reason you can have it Hmm. but otherwise you can run around in the daytime with the much easier enemies and lower variety so that's fun yeah it's it's really really enjoyable there are i think uh like six endings to it which i think i've done all of them now and i know i stressed oh you know yes this is a love letter to, you know, video, but it's Castlevania. That's what it is. And I'm going to pull back on that a little bit because it is more than Castlevania. There's some really fun shit hidden in there hmm. that demonstrates that, you know, they 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 loved some other games, too. And uh, it's it's just a real treat. It's a real treat. I hope people play it. Um, and it seems like people are. So, I, yeah, it, it's fun. Infernax is a very, very good game. I'm glad I played it through. Yay. Steph, what have you been playing? I have played Dying Light 2. Oh. I could do that, I guess. Fucking awful. Ah. Fucking awful. I mean, I'm not surprised, but... Who fucking decided that what Dying Light needed was a stamina meter for climbing? (laughs) Ha! 
<laughs> your nemesis. Who fucking thought that was a good idea? That's not in the first game. You can just climb and do parkour. It's the point of the series. And this time around, like, I've stopped. I've just stopped playing it. It's unbearable. I've got people on Twitter, of course, saying, oh, it gets better once you've invested in the upgrades. I'm like, you know what? I shouldn't have to upgrade to get it to the point where it was in the last fucking game. That's not upgrading. That's uh, that's fucking... That's Mega Man. Balancing out a downgrade. I'm not doing it. You And it's like you get a few seconds without upgrades. A few mm. seconds. It's so fucking annoying. And the rest of it is like, you know, I have talked about Dying Light before. I think it's a mediocre game. I think there was a lot of promise to it, and I was interested in the sequel. The sequel is, it's the first one, but worse. Everything is worse. The combat is more sluggish. The stealth is is just fucking boring and dull. Everything is worse. The map layout just isn't as as readily navigable and... and, and um, uh, what's the word? Sort of visually... I can't get my way around the map as well as I did mm, in the first one. I hate that. It's it's less distinct and distinguished. And it throws up so many markers and objectives of, oh, here's something, but you can't do it now. And here's something, you can't do it now. And, oh, and, the, and as for the writing and the acting and all of that shit, it's so dull and so tropey. And so the main... The protagonist's called Aiden. <laughs> That's all you need to know about how sort of triple A its story is. The protagonist called Aiden. The moment they said he was called Aiden, I just rolled my eyes and said, of course he is. Of course. It's it's either going to be Aiden or fucking Jacob, isn't it? Wow. Sounds like Troy Baker. Mm. If it's not, it's just one of those actors that sound like him. That's, that's all I'm going to say about it. Yeah. Fucking stamina for the point of the game. Fucking piece of shit. Uh. Wow. I'm going to talk about a, a nice, nice little thing I've, I played. Oh, well, that's positive. Yeah, I've been trying to check out some demos for stuff during um, Steam and Next Fest, which is there um, oh, a yeah. couple of times a year. Here's a bunch of demos for games all going up at once. And one that caught my eye was for a game called A Little to the Left. Are you trying to scratch someone's back? No, no, no. You're trying to straighten and organize things. The title of the game being a reference to the fact that the game boots up and without telling you what you're supposed to do, there's just a slightly askew picture frame in front of you. Ah, uh, it's a shame. My second guess was that it was a simulator where you were Lee Harvey Oswald in a book depository in Dallas and you're trying to go a back and a little <laughs> to the left. Ah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it is. it is a game made up of a bunch of different... Neat little tidy organizing tasks, and there's. Sorry, that was my was phone that? ringing. It plays <laughs> Steph singing the Slunge promo <laughs> with my phone. We rings. made Slunge. We don't know why. Give it a lick. Don't let it dry. Don't. Yeah, good old Slunge. It's just a product we're working on. Yeah. Um, but sorry, carry on. Yeah, it's. It's just a little game about, like, it, it's a slightly puzzly game where you start with very basic stuff like, hey, neaten out this picture frame, put these things in this basket and find room for them. Um, it's got a very satisfying things, sort of, if you get close enough, it'll sort of snap into place. It'll be like, yep, you've worked out what you're supposed to be doing with this. But, like, it builds up 
into slightly more complicated things that are a bit more of a picture. Like, um, one of the early ones is you've got a bunch of post-it notes, and it's and there's some scribbles across them, and you're trying to neatly tidy them up and organise them in such a way that also whatever's been drawn across them is now neat and tidy. It feels like it occupies a, a very specific space that, like, I think thinking about it in comparison to games like Wilmot's Warehouse or mm. um, Unpacking, yeah, it is less broad and self-directed than something like Wilmot's Warehouse. It's not like put this, and, and I guess for Unpacking as well, it's not like put this where it's satisfying for you. There is a correct answer. Generally, I have found the correct answer is generally satisfying. There's a couple of little exceptions in the in the demo that I'm a little frustrated by. Most notably, there is um, at least one puzzle you can organize it in two directions, and both of them are equally satisfying, and there's no reason why one should be correct and one should be incorrect, but only one of the marks is correct. And that's frustrating. And I feel like that is something that you need to play test the hell out of this game for and go, okay, why did you try and solve it that way? Yeah. Did multiple people do that? Is th Should we consider that also a valid solution? If you're going to have progression being gated, but like, it's a mechanically satisfying little thing. My biggest question mark about it, it comes out in August. They advertise on the Steam page that the, the game will have 75 puzzles, which... Until I try that final game, I have no idea whether that's going to feel like enough content, because the early content in the demo, you can really rattle through it quite quickly in a lot of cases, and this might be a very short game. Mm. And I don't know if they've shown me enough in this demo to say, you have an incredible number of ideas, and these 75 are going to feel so wildly different that it's definitely going to be worth picking up. I'm intrigued by what's here. But I am intrigued with caveats, and I'm going to keep those in mind. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. What about... Conrad, we'll go back to you. What have you played this week? Uh, I played another thing. It's called RoboQuest. It's by uh, Rise Up Studios. It just hit Game Pass on PC in early access, and so I decided to just check it out. It's, it's a first-person shooter roguelite. And it is really color. It has a real like early Borderlands stylistic feel to the visuals, particularly like, you know, it's colorful and bright, but explosions. Um, and you get some really cool weapon varieties in it. All of the robot enemies that you're fighting feel like they're part of a cohesive whole of designs. And they're all really cool. Uh, and it plays a lot like Doom, I find, in that it incentivizes forward momentum. You do have a, a melee, which I don't really use, uh, but otherwise it's guns and shooting. And if you take damage, there's a window of time in which you can recover the damage that you've received. If you pick up the experience orbs that the enemies drop, uh, there's also the, these also disappear, so it incentivizes you to run in and grab them before they go away. Although it's pretty forgiving with the amount of time it gives you, it really does sort of compel you forward very quickly, which I like. The pace is good. The environments are are pretty well designed from what I've seen so far too. They're uh, well populated and compact, but there's some verticality, and it doesn't suffer from the biggest problem that I tend to have in first person 
games generally in that the environments are small enough that I can't get lost in them. It's Gunfire Reborn is a game that's very, very similar in composition to this one, but I struggle all the time with figuring out, okay, where the fuck am I supposed to go? This has a really effective minimap, a very uh, limited amount of map size, and it gates off passages once you've cleared certain checkpoints, so you don't even have to worry about it anymore once you've gone through. It's like, all right, I'm going the right way. I see this grouping of doors. Fine. So I like all of that. Um, there's some cool base upgrading stuff. You develop uh, as you go along by collecting items that you can have up to three of slotted. And they each provide a specific type of bonus, like an increase to damage or range or movement or reload speed, something of that nature. And then in addition, they'll have two traits associated with them that correspond with five uh, weapon types. And those stats increase to deal more damage with those weapon types. So you pick up aligned weapons with your aligned items and, and build out uh, on a run. And yeah, it's, it's fun. It's satisfying. It's challenging. I feel like the base development is happening at a pace that feels satisfying. And I feel like I'm making progression. Yeah, it's a good game. It's, it's real good. Great music too. I mean, it, okay. I say great music I, as a... 41-year-old man who spent a lot of their uh, indiscretion years listening to repetitive electronic music. This is a banging soundtrack, but with that caveat, <laughs> but I really like it. Uh, so yeah, RoboQuest, it's, it's, it's fun, it's shaping up. There's definitely some like placeholder stuff in there. Like when you defeat the boss of a zone, the boss explosion is just some sort of really kind of weird out of place sprite explosions <laughs> and that's kind of entertaining uh so yeah it's it's clearly work in progress but the work that's there is uh really solid and worth checking out at least for free if you're on game pass on pc yeah what about you steph sorry i'm jumping in i'm still annoyed about the sorting game there's a puzzle where you're supposed to sort the keys by the number of holes in the top of the key but that requires the keys to be completely different sizes from left to right and like entirely facing opposite directions. no uh, it's a bad puzzle i have to complain about that puzzle it's a bad fucking puzzle no don't make me sort keys by numbers of holes in the top that's a puzzle but that's not satisfying and and what but they can't all be facing the same direction no what fucking madman what what madman puts up a key know, rack right it doesn't have all the keys facing the same direction I know, right i know right i know right and like, the last thing I will say is, like, there are parts in this demo that are very clearly meant to infuriate you, but that's not one of them. That's before... There's a little bit where a cat starts fucking with you, you're trying to tidy your thing, and the cat's like, yeah, I'm gonna fuck with it. This is before that. This is just... No, you can't sort the keys that way. You can't put them in size order, all facing in the same direction. Number of holes in the top's the only viable answer. Yeah, I couldn't... I'm sorry. No, that's fascism. Yeah, Telling me no, what direction like, I have to put my, my keys in? No. <sighs> yeah, I wasn't going to say it, but fuck it, I need to say it. It's a demo for a game. It's like two minutes into the demo. It's my biggest reason I have caveats <laughs> about this game. Anyway, Steph, what have you played this week? Oh, okay. What else have I played? Uh, I played a game called Skull. Uh, S-K-U-L. Skull with one L. School. It's a side-scrolling hack-and-slash uh, roguelike-y kind of thing. 
you play a little skeleton, a little skeleton boy, who is fighting a bunch of heroes who um, wiped out the armies of the Demon King. So it's like one of those sort of, oh, you are the nominal bad guys, but it turns out the heroes are bad instead, please. <gasps> it's neat. You start off with a, just a regular little skeleton uh, who fights with a bone and throws their head um, at enemies, but the power-ups are different skulls. So you can have two skulls at any given time, and that changes just the entire character. You know, there's like a werewolf skull, which turns you into this sort of faster-moving uh, werewolfy character that can jump real far and has abilities that can sort of slash through enemies. There's a thief skull that can uh, attacks at short range uh, very quickly and throws money at enemies. What's interesting is that there's no preset special ability for each of the skulls. There's several. Like, the thief c can come equipped with an ability that throws cash, or comes equipped with an ability that does this little dodge. There's a gargoyle one that can fly and will always fly, but its special ability that is sort of on a cooldown can either turn to stone so it becomes invulnerable for a while, or it jumps up and throws like an energy ball. So there's extra randomization within the skulls. It's neat. It's got a lot of varied gameplay to it. There's just, you know, I've played quite a bit of it and I've not seen... Um, all of the skulls that you can unlock. Um, some of them are really wild and really sort of over the top, which is cool. So yes, Skull is quite good. I am annoyed at the bosses. They're so annoying. That's what's bringing it down for me. The difficulty spike with the bosses is vast. They attack just so quickly with not much telegraphing at points. Uh, the sub-bosses are... It's just like a, a an assault. It's just endless with the attacks. One of the worst ones is there's a, a, a priestess character who heals herself, and that's all she does, heals herself and others, which when she's supporting in a boss fight with another boss, that works out okay. But if it's you versus her and you're not doing much damage output, you haven't unlocked much damage, like upgrades along the way, she's just healing. It took about like 10 minutes at one point to kill her because she was healing almost as fast as I could hurt her. So there's a little, I feel like the boss fights are a little not balanced in a way that's all that fun. But the music is fantastic. The visual design is really good. The gameplay is very varied. I'm impressed by just how different each of the the. Uh, skulls plays uh, and it's got a real nice little uh, story and characters to it it's worth looking at if you're not sick of all of the roguelites yet it's worth looking at i have played it i find it so difficult it is tough like just i i cannot seem to like penetrate the difficulty and, and and approach to playing this game. And, you know, there are a few heads that I really like. I like the werewolf head a lot. I think that one's fun as hell. Yeah. I like the... God, what was the one that... I can't remember the exact name of it, but it, like, summon Instead of attacking directly, it summons just huge purple spikes out of the ground and, and sort of from portals behind it, like a Cenobite with, with uh, hooks. Like, it's really cool. Some of them are just so overpowered, and when you get those, they're just fucking awesome. I like the uh, the meaty guy that has the butcher oh, the blade. Ghoul. The ghoul, yeah. Yeah. That one's a lot of fun. Um, but I, you know, I can make it past the first boss usually but that's it yeah i don't think i've i think i've made i've made it to the second boss once yeah 
the game's just it's just maybe too difficult for me uh but i do really like it i think it's beautiful yeah. and conceptually it it works on a lot of levels it's just too difficult yeah it's very tough um yeah like nothing i've seen is unbeatably tough it's just no it's just more than i'm willing to invest to get good enough it's just so much to chew yeah Yeah. so much to chew through and you know if you don't get the right combination of upgrades along the way you're just not gonna win like Mm -hmm. i don't feel but yeah i i I'm I'm impressed that the skulls don't just attack and move differently, but some of them have entirely um, bespoke mechanics. Yeah. Like you mentioned the ghoul, sort of this big chonky meat-covered thing with a meat hook. Um, you know, it can fire out a hook and drag itself towards stuff. Uh, and as it attacks enemies, bits of flesh drop off them and you collect the flesh. Uh, and that um, builds up your attack. So it's like it's its own little mechanic. It also builds up your size. The ghoul becomes yes. like ridiculously large and that's entertaining too yeah you just and and that's its own mechanic Mm -hmm. and if you don't pick up that skull then you just don't engage with that it's something else uh so i'm very impressed with just the depth and complexity relatively speaking of um all of the play styles um but yeah it's it's fucking hard that's that's the big takeaway it's hard for me to fully enjoy it because more often than not i just i reach a point where i just get annihilated and i don't feel satisfied yeah i just feel oh that's it that that's a shame and unlike with some rogue like some of which are just as you know can be equally as challenging at points i i don't often feel like i'm gonna i don't have that one more go factor like i do with a lot of roguelikes yes it's very easy to put down because it's it's so frustrating yes yes i'm I'm not given much hope for the future i don't feel like oh you know next time will be different i'm like next time will probably be the same and it's such an anti-climax when i die i haven't reached a point where i felt like i was having a a great run Mm -hmm. i've had some really good characters but there's always a point where i just get so completely defeated that i feel too defeated to play again i'll still go have a crack at it i think at points but yeah it's it's tough yeah that's about it for stuff i've played this week i played a bunch of other demos that just didn't grab me so i'm gonna i'm gonna skip over them kept playing pokemon legends arceus having some good shiny luck over there yeah i had one particular run around the first area where i have a lot of perfected pokedex entries where i found a shiny alpha gyarados a shiny wormpool a shiny bidoof and a shiny starly in about 10 minutes it was fucking great i was having a wild time very good yeah my Gyarados is red and has glowing red eyes, and it's my favourite now. I love it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I played a bit more Arceus. It's just very playable. It's it's a very easy to fall back into just in the background. I'm just gonna, just gonna do a little bit of it. Yeah. And I've been having a good time. Um, I've played some Horizon Forbidden West. Yeah. Now, now it's come out. Uh, it's good. It's good. I keep going back to it after I attempt to play Dying Light without wanting to eat my own teeth. It's it's more of the same, right? Yeah, it's more of the same. That's fine because I loved. I really, really liked the first game. It was one of those open world games that I actually tried to. Um, I think I actually did in the end, just like fully complete, and that says a lot because I don't have the patience for most open world yeah. busy work. But I liked just how easily and accessible the busy work was with um, uh, Zero Dawn. There's really no better way to put it than your opinion will not have changed since the first one. Your problems will probably be the same. Your praise yeah. will probably be the same. It's it's another Horizon 
for all that in Dales. Yeah. Anyone else do anything else? Anything else, comrade? Nope. All right, let me just have one quick, just just take us on one little trip to Stephanie's Feet the Corner. <gasps> oh, it's exciting. Right? What's in Stephanie's Feet the Corner today? Um, Nothing too exciting this week. I played Pinball Heroes. Okay. Uh, a little pinball game on the Vita that Sony put out with, with hot Sony franchises. Mm. And... That's that's what makes this game interesting because it's sort of basically a pathetic game. You play like the 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 pinball FX games, all that stuff where they've got these really intricate, well animated, detailed tables, and you come to here and it's like here's our Uncharted table with a still picture of Nathan Drake on a bit of brown. Um, oh, there's a plane. None of it moves. Um, there's there's no real interesting music or voice clips or anything. It's just like bare bones, bare bones pinball tables with a vague overlay of an IP. But what's interesting is the IP chosen because I, I guess these are the the hot franchises that Sony was positioning at the time, or at least in the portable space. So you've got Uncharted, which makes sense. Big series for Sony. Big famous sort of thing. You've got Wipeout, which, okay, you know, they've made a big deal of Wipeout on the PS Vita, the 2048. There's no Little Big Planet or Killzone or anything. There's Fat Princess. Oh. Which, yeah, you just. Yeah. There was like two. Was there two Fat Princess games? There, there was the were. original and like a free to play yeah. game. Um, so they got Fat Princess, which is sort of middling, but is now a sort of relic. Then you've got stuff like Hot Shots Golf and some bowling one, Pain, which I think was some physics-based game back in the day where you sort of flung a, a physics character at things. Um, Motorstorm. It's just like, if, if you imagine a Sony pinball table collection, these are not the franchises you imagine. Certainly not Mod Nation Racers. Do you remember Mod Nation Racers when they tried to make that a thing? Yeah. What a shit game. And it's not even Mod Nation Racers. It's Mod Nation Racers PSP. On the PS Vita, that's what they're pushing. It's an odd little game. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a museum of forgotten Sony IPs and Sony trying to do something with them. It, it, it's intriguing as a thing. The, the pinball is, like, fine it's bare bones pinball you know me i like pinball games so that's why i got it um the tables are not all that extravagant not very animated only shallowly vapidly visually based on each of the ips like you can tell that the uncharted table is an uncharted table because it's got a picture of nathan drake on it and a plane and that's about it but yeah it's interesting that of this collection there are barely any actual by today's standards, famous Sony franchises there. Um, like I say, no Killzone, no, there's no Ratchet and Clank or, or anything yeah. like that. Fat Princess and Mod Nation Racers. Just, yeah, just a strange little collection, really. It was a very strange time for Sony in terms of working out what, whether they were trying to push the things that had been successful in the past or push new stuff out. Yeah, I think that's it. Sort of this early 2010s vibe of, of Sony, like just throwing all sorts of ideas at the wall, trying to come up with the next big franchise. I think it was very specifically like they were losing a lot of ground to the Xbox 360 and were trying to 
work out what made them different. And yeah, this pinball game sounds like an interesting little time capsule of that. And that's it. It's got a sort of time capsule vibe to it. And so, you know, it's like five bucks or something on the store. Yeah. So I picked it up. Um, it's fine. It's not great. But yeah, uh, that was Stephanie's Vita Corner. Yeah. I'm hitting my Draculia bottle with a fork. <laughs> That's uh, it. Oh shit. Should we Oh Oh god, fuck everywhere. Right. Ah, should we do some news? We got a bit of that. Oh, why not? Why not? Why not? Activision Blizzards on their uh, union busting bullshit. So Activision Blizzards law firm, Reed uh, Reed Smith, um, who are representing them in the uh, the the one of their current hearings going on. Oh, there's a slide from a presentation that has been leaked, and it's quite a thing. I'm, I'm just going to read you some of it. Types of employees that unions exploit. Lazy, non-productive, and inefficient. Footloose and fancy-free. No major obligations or commitments, financial or otherwise. Rebel, anti-establishment, opposes society, structure, management... Malingerer, something for nothing attitude. Well, let me ask you this: Why are all of these people employed by your company then? <laughs> if they're such shitty employees, why are you worried about them joining a union? They shouldn't even be there. You wouldn't want to join a union. People might think you're a whiner and complainer, or an activist. Or alternately, if these are the people that they're seeking to exploit, maybe they'll take care of me because I'm not one of these people. So. My favourite one behind activist, because, hey, yeah, you had to get into activism because you were being mistreated by your employer. It ends with overqualified for current job position, which is really insidious, because the more you think about it, what it seems to be trying to suggest is, oh, no, no, you're not being underpaid. You don't need a union to get you paid more in your current job. You just need to work harder and climb the ladder because you're qualified probably for things further up the chain if you work for them, and then you'll get the money. You 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 shouldn't be paid more here. You're probably overqualified. They use the phrase footloose and fancy free. That's pretty great. Yeah, footloose and fancy free. That's amazing. <sighs> That's my new gender. Look, I, I've seen this being passed around as like a tag yourself meme. Like I'm, I'm gonna tag myself. I'm rebel anti-establishment opposes society structure and management. That seems pretty cool. I can be one of them. That's pretty much where I am. Yeah. Yeah. That's why no one will hire me. My my favorite little detail is after this got leaked, a bunch of Activision Blizzard King staff in the company Slack started changing their employee names to things off of this list, <laughs> which. That's that's just that's just great. That's fun. It is two decades into the twenty first century, and somebody used footloose and fancy free in an yeah. anti union. Like I just <laughs> not to make current year argument, but wow, right? Yeah, I guess they just want to sound like Pinkertons. <laughs> <laughs> this is what it is. They're like, we haven't evolved our political stances since union busting was first a thing. We might as yeah. well use the language as well. <laughs> so we got some other Activision Blizzard King stories because they're going to be very relevant this year, uh, unfortunately. Reading a story here from Polygon, Activision Blizzard accused of union busting as Raven QA union hearing continues. 
So the short version of, of this is that Activision Blizzard King and Raven Software QA workers are looking to define who is eligible to be part of Game Workers Alliance, which is this union that they're currently trying to set up. And there's currently some some meetings going on with the National Labour Review Board to basically work out what the scope of the union will be. That being said, union representatives have raised concerns about whether Activision Blizzard's various responses to employees' unionization efforts constitute union busting. Probably, corporations fucking love to do that shit. One of the complicated issues outlined during the hearing concerned Activision Blizzard's reorganisation of its QA staff following the announcement of the Game Workers Alliance. If you don't remember this, they announced they were going to unionise, and very quickly Activision Blizzard started to try and shuffle people around, which looked very much like an attempt to stop QA staff easily communicating with each other during union talks. They got split across into different teams across the company, so like they were putting... QA in the art department, in the design department, basically not having a unified front during union talks. The problem, obviously, right now is there's a debate to be had about, well, yes, embedded QA is ultimately something we want and is a positive step. It is good to have QA actually working alongside the rest of the development team. That is a good step. But the timing of it seems really deliberately designed to stop us forming the union properly. Like, there's a lot of this kind of thing getting hashed out at the moment. This is just going to keep going on for a while, I suspect. Yeah. Unions are not easy to create. Activision is blessedly terrified of all of this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, that. at least we can enjoy that. The terror. Yeah. And they'll have no one to blame but themselves. Like, this is what it all comes down to. That's what corporations never learn, is it's their excess that leads to the regulations because they prove time and time again they can't be trusted without regulation. They can't be trusted without organisation. And a lot of this is pulling stuff into the sunlight that thankfully is now like on the record and that stuff can be done about it to a degree now. Um, one of the things brought up in this is a bunch of executives were brought into these hearings to basically talk about um, how they classify job descriptions, um, QA roles, job definitions, things like that. But in a statement to the press the following following that day, one of the, the potential union representatives said that Activision Blizzard presented an exhaustive and dishonest case around uh, Raven QA workers' job descriptions and day-to-day workflow in order to prevent them from moving forward with their union election. Basically, a lot of executives lying about what the job roles are and what the day-to-day of the job is to try and present the job as if it doesn't qualify for union status. Like, the executives are coming out and just bold-faced lying about what the job is to try and make it sound like, oh, no, no, that it, that doesn't qualify for union things. <sighs> yeah. <sighs> they apparently also held a management meeting that was attempting to thwart organisation efforts, um, doing a lot of the union-busting basics, like telling staff that uh, a union could limit the amount of overtime work, which might affect the quality of a game upon launch. If you're not allowed to do overtime, you might have to release bad games, and... Oh yeah, and if there's one thing Activision has been known for before now, it's never releasing a bad (laughs) fucking game. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
Activision Blizzard's response to all this is that they're just being like, oh, those silly union people, they don't know what they're doing. Um, really dismissive bullshit. Here's a statement from a representative to Polygon. It is clear the union does not understand the studio's business needs, day-to-day operations, nor the gaming industry in general. That you don't understand video games or you're... No, stop asking for a union. You're just not smart enough to understand what's happening. Mm. Blah, blah, blah. Uh, They're going real hard, it seems. They seem to be going real, real hard. You don't hire a company who's into... Like, Reed Smith, the company they hired, explicitly on their website states that they have... Tips for spotting the early and early signs of a union organization attempt. I love that they talk about it like it's some sort of infection. Exactly. That overtakes their company. Exactly. And then the very next page on their website is planning your counterattack. Christ. Like, there is no world in which they go, actually, a union would be good for you. They're like, no. Spot it and snuff it out. Amazing. So... Union, union busting bullshit, but from what I can see publicly, it seems like it isn't being effective, and the workers that are, that had sort of taken union cards and seemed on board for voting for the union don't seem to be being swayed, which is really positive. It seems like there's a good united front. This wouldn't have been a problem for Activision if it had just not, like, systematically abused its own workforce. Yeah, yeah. Um, speaking of systematic abuse within Activision Blizzard, let's talk about Bobby Kotick and his secret businesses and his funneling of money to the Republicans, which should should surprise no one. Yeah, it turns out that Bobby Kotick, the evil twat, is an evil twat. Huh, who knew? Hey, fun fact, if you know of a billionaire that exists and you aren't sure what their political affiliation is... They're a Republican. Just guess that they're a Republican and that they pour money into the Republican Party. That's a very safe bet. Yeah, they're evil twats. There's there's maybe a handful that, that aren't, but yeah, you're pretty much right. Yeah. I mean, generally speaking, the kind of person who can hold on to and does not give away over a billion dollars is the kind of person who will vote for a party that will promise to keep your billion dollars in your pocket and not take yeah. any of it. Whatever political allegiance, being a billionaire is fundamentally, inherently immoral. Yeah. So it stands to reason that Bobby Kotick, <laughs> who, by the way, is um, a sexual harasser, yeah. an overseer of sexual abuse, and someone who once threatened to have one of his own employees killed, Yeah. it shouldn't surprise anyone that he's a dick. But he, he's a dick. So yeah, the the specifics on the story, Bobby Kotick donated over $600,000 or £450,000 to Republican causes, including supporting Mitch McConnell in the Senate. That would have been enough to have paid for all the people Activision Blizzard has let go. Yeah, yeah. In all of its layoffs. But that's where Bobbers is spending his fucking money. Yeah. So he did this via companies that were less obviously connected to him. Norgate LLC and 807080A LLC. And if that doesn't speak volumes about the kind of small, little man Bobby Kotick is, he's not just politically vile. He's a coward about it as well. Yeah. He can't even stand by his own political convictions. Can't even stand by his own name. Yeah. Yeah, literally, 
One of them is literally just a string of numbers as an LLC that we only know is connected to him because of someone re- realised it's a registered business address that connects him. Yeah, that doesn't seem shady at all. Owning an LLC yeah. that is nothing but a string of numbers and letter. Yeah. <laughs> That seems like a real legitimate organization doing business. Yeah. (laughs) And as people have pointed out, it's entirely possible there are other businesses he's made other donations to Republicans through. But, um, yeah, most of it was money to get Mitch McConnell into the Senate. And then about a a sixth of it was for other Republican politicians. But it's just 100% it's support for Republican politicians in their various runs. Well, you know, that's a good way to get around uh, fundraising donation limits, isn't it? I mean, yeah. Pretty sure the multiple entities will allow you to do a bit of that, so cool. Our system's great. Yeah. So, I'll read the counterstatement and then the debunking of it. So, Kotick's representative said, Over the past five years, Mr. Kotick has contributed roughly the same amount to Democrats and Republicans. Is Contributions are focused on candidates and causes, primarily in support of veterans' issues, and specifically veterans' employment. His giving, and that of the Call of Duty Foundation, which he co-chairs, is with the goal of ensuring that veterans have employment opportunities that reflect the sacrifices they make to go through their service. So, like, completely trying to downplay and go, no, 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 he does, he donates to, um, um, to Democrats too. I will read the counterpoint. The investigation found that while Kotick has donated to causes on both sides of the political spectrum, of donations known, much larger donations were made to Republican causes. Yeah. And, yeah, the ones that we know about are much more targeted to, like, very specific, very bad Republican politician. Here is over half a million dollars. Well, yeah, I mean, you know, he he's donating to the same people Scott fucking Cawthon donated to. Like, Mitch, once you've donated money to Mitch McConnell... Yeah. You are spending money in the service of evil. You can go get fucked forever. Yeah. It it seems like what they're trying to suggest is that the officially made donations by Kotick are roughly even in number, while not acknowledging these ones, because his representative refuses to acknowledge whether these are to do with him. And it sure seems like maybe he's donated to both sides publicly and then secretly poured a bunch of extra money to the Republicans. Because that's what billionaires generally do. Yeah, it's what they do. Yeah. Very quick one. Ubisoft has backed out of holding a Rainbow Six tournament in uh, the United Arab Emirates, a place where it is illegal to be gay. Good on them for backing out, but also, how do you get to the point of hosting a tournament like that and have not considered that? Hmm. Yeah. If for no other reason than... Maybe there are gay people who would enter your tournament, but cannot because they are gay and cannot go to the place where the tournament will take place. That's not a good choice of place to do a tournament. Not ideal, no. Don't host a tournament in a... Like, you know, there's a bunch of other problems with human rights records uh, there, but generally, like, the easy, the easy pull is don't host a tournament in a country where it's illegal to be gay... Because you have effectively banned gay people from taking place in your tournament. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, that pretty much sums it up. Yeah. You're saying gay people aren't welcome. That's what you're saying. It's the kind of choice you only make if you assume that your tournament will entirely be competed in 
by cishet, cishet white men, and that no one outside of that will will take part. And that's just shit. <laughs> On the subject of Ubisoft, Ubisoft seems to be angling to get bought out. It sure sounds a bit like. Uh huh. Yeah. So let me let me find the article. Um. Out of nowhere, Ubisoft has started discussing very publicly the idea of a potential buyout. Now, years ago, they were asked about this and were like, nope, never, never. We're independent, we're fiercely independent, we will never, never be owned by anyone else. And that seems to have changed very recently. In in an interview with GamesIndustry.biz, they started going, Ubisoft's assets have never been so strong at a time when the value of assets has never been so high. I can't help but think this is them angling for a buyout, and there's only, like, two reasons I can think of why they would do that. Which is, maybe they just want a quick payout from a company like Tencent. That seems on the table. But I think what they're... My gut says what they're angling for is, Sony, please launder our reputation. You know, I, I, like, I think that Sony would launder the reputation of Ubisoft. Yeah. I question whether or not the executive team at Ubisoft gives a shit about that at all. Well, given how, you know, queerphobia and, and all other forms of bigotry have been part of the complaints about Ubisoft's work culture, they don't care. Yeah, I get this. I get the impression that and, and here's the thing, like if they take a buyout, these people by and large are going to leave. Yeah. Right. So they aren't going to give a shit about the image, apart from maybe their image as having been associated with this company. But they'll fuck off and do something else and fund horrible things. And I look at the timing of this just after the Microsoft Activision Blizzard thing, and my I wonder whether maybe I'm wrong. No, no, I don't. I I think I think you're absolutely right that there is an opportunity for a big payday that these people are seeing. They're like, hey. We don't have to have these problems, and we can have lots of money. They have a distressed asset right now at a time when distressed assets could be very valuable to someone else. That's the thing, is it's like, it's, it's, a, it's a way to take a big payout and make it not their problem anymore and walk away and not be responsible for anything that happens after. It's a way to walk away without a bad legacy. Well, I don't know about them walking away without a bad legacy, oh, but I don't well, think anyone's going to no. remember them after six months after they're gone, right? There will be a few That's of us I mean, banging yeah. the drum about it, but no one's going to remember that Yves Gumeau was even a part of this or who he is or why he's significant, right? Yeah. But what will happen then is that a new parent company can come and take all of this intellectual property and clean it up and carry it forward. And so it will be considered a win-win again, just like it is happening with... Uh, uh, Activision Blizzard by a, a larger gaming audience, I think, if this were to happen. And shit will fall through the cracks. Yeah. And there will still be uh, uh, people there. And, you know, certainly it would depend on who purchased them and decisions that they made as to how much of the rot that they would be able to carve out of this thing. Yeah. But, yeah, and I think it is inevitable. Yeah. Like, that's ultimately what's going to happen to Ubisoft, whether it's something that happens in the next five years or the next 15 years. I don't think it's forever going to sit in this family private arrangement that it's in presently. I think it is inevitable that it, there will either be pressure from enough people in the company or just too good of an offer will come along and they will walk. Yeah. 
Uh, I double-checked the information about when they were very anti-buyout. This was 2016. Um, Vivendi was trying to do a takeover, and they actively mm-hmm. fought against it and were very public in statements about, like, we will not let them purchase us. We are independent. We will not let that change. Well, in, in fairness, I wouldn't have let Vivendi purchase me either. And if they had, they might be owned by Microsoft today. Yeah. And... I can't see any other reason why they would be, they would have changed their tune other than our reputation ain't great and people might be interested right now and it's a payout for us. It might even be, we don't need to deal with this bullshit. Yeah. Because they don't. Unfortunately, they don't. And I mean, we know that a better Ubisoft is making pushes as well, and I wouldn't be surprised if Ubisoft workers were the next ones to try and unionize. And, like, that's a whole problem that they don't have to be responsible for if they get out now. And and uh, coming up with a, a, a sale without the involvement of unionized labor would be much easier. Yeah, and you will probably take a lot of the sale out of a union's wing or a potential union's wings if the buyout happens early enough because you will get a portion of people who will go, oh, it's better now, probably. Oh, they'll fix it. I don't have to go through this struggle. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty transparent that this is why Ubisoft's talking and we'll see if anything comes of it. I think that it feels like they're asking to be bought, and I feel like Sony and Tencent are the only realistic people on the table who might take that offer. And I don't even know that Sony's realistic. Like, they don't seem that liquid to me. I mean, it depends how much access they have to funds outside the PlayStation part of the business, whether Sony more broadly... Well, well, certainly, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, because PlayStation's a significant part of the business, but it's not the majority of the business by far. It'd be a huge investment. I mean, it'd be a huge investment for for any company. The Microsoft thing, it's only because they are just mammoths globally in a a wide range of markets that I think they were positioned to make that kind of offer for Activision Blizzard. I feel like Ubisoft would have to be in a worse position than they are now for Sony to... They'd have to be in a worse position, yeah, and and I think Sony as a consumer electronics brand would probably have to be in a little better position than they are right now, which isn't bad, but like their TV business has suffered in recent years, Samsung's been really competitive. I don't know. The one thought I have as to why they might be interested in it is their movie business. I could see them eyeing up Ubisoft properties for movie adaptations. Well, and Ubisoft already has, you know, uh, a production, a film production arm. Yeah. So. But yeah, that's that's Ubisoft going, hey, can we get one of those purchases of us too? Oh, have either of you seen the logo for Street Fighter Six? Okay, I've heard, no, I haven't. I've seen Rio's testicles. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna chuck a, a link at the bottom of our uh, our little work chat. Mm-hmm. Um, this has come up specifically because there is a creator of a stock asset who's pretty sure that the Street Fighter Six logo is an incredibly mildly edited version of his stock image. So uh, Adobe Image Creator X Cooley thinks that Capcom have used their stock image, and they're like, "Hey, Capcom, do you want to?" Do you want to buy the rights to it exclusively? Because right now, anyone can just buy this stock asset that you seem to be using as your game logo 
and you can't protect it as your game logo if I'm selling it to yeah. other people as a stock asset. They've tilted it a bit, but otherwise it's the same. They've tilted it and put a couple of dents and a splat effect over it, but it I think it's pretty clear that they've just mildly edited a stock photo, and there's no reason why they can't do that. But I do think it would be hilarious if people started making knockoff Street Fighter Six merch by buying rights to this stock photo because Capcom just doesn't own it. <laughs> and that is amusing to me. Hmm. It's I I don't know, it's a weird it's a weird story. I mean it's a it's a I like I get what they're going for with the logo. Yeah. You know, they're trying to, you know, make it more grounded. They they are. My favorite take on it is um Brian Altano on Twitter described it as looking like the Street Fighter logo has six pending emails. <laughs> I do like that. Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like they are trying to sort of lean into a little more of a UFC aesthetic. Yeah. They're trying to go we're a serious sport and not a cartoon about fighting. Right, with demons and, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and stretchy people and... Mm -hmm. and I, I don't think... I I don't think it's a bad logo. I think it's like very clearly no. I think it's a, a perfectly fine logo that I would love to see on any stock image website anywhere. Yeah, uh. it's 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 very much them doing what everyone seems to be doing now, and like very much simplifying logo designs, which I don't dis I don't disapprove of. Yeah, um, it is remarkable how similar it looks to that stock image. Like, I don't know. I I don't know that I'd go as far as to say that they derived it from it. This is a pretty easy path to walk the same way, but remarkably similar. Yeah. Very quick ones to rattle through. Platinum Games, not a fan of NFTs. Cool. Yep. Give them a tick in the box for that. Um, glad that they have no interest. Their statements were very explicitly like, these have no value and are pointless. It offers no positive impact on the creators or the users in any sense. Yep, totally agree. That's a that's a good take. I did, hang on, there is another quote in here that needs. Oh, what what have I skipped? <laughs> needs, Give me the quote. Give me the quote. Uh, asked if uh, he was surprised by how quickly the likes of Konami had jumped on the NFT <laughs> bandwagon. Kamiya added, "Not really. If it smells like money, Konami's going to be there in a heartbeat." <laughs> I, I, yeah, it's good shade. <laughs> it's, it's beautiful shade, I'll give them that. And the last story, which I'm going to summarize as, hey, piracy's probably alright sometimes. Um, Nintendo is already ending uh, eShop sales on the 3DS and the Wii U. Their last generation of handheld and their last generation of home console, as of March next year, those systems and any digital-only software for them just lost to time. Yar, 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 mateys. You know what? Yar. You know what I have I've learned actually um, as a result of this news. What have you learned? How easy it is to mod a 3ds now. Oh yeah, it's super easy. <laughs> I had no idea. Yeah, like Nintendo, it's really easy to get Nintendo's games for free. It's about as easy as it is to mod a mod a launch day Switch. It's real easy. No, but I mean, not even launch day Switch, like any 3DS seems like just 
easy now, regardless of the firmware or anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the Wii U, very easy to uh, to, to software mod at this point. Well, on that, that I do have a launch Wii U, and it may even still have the first firmware on it. Yeah, well, I, mean, <laughs> I believe even without... Uh, I believe that it's... I think it's up to date now that you can soft mod it with, with any uh, firmware revision. But, like... Yeah, hey, these are the moments where I go, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna stand and tell people not to do piracy, when the legal avenues of consoles that only five years ago, these were the current Nintendo handheld and home console, five years on, already you can't legally purchase digital software for them. You know, I'm going to take it a step further. I'm going to I'm going to just say what you said without the qualification. I'm not going to tell people not to pirate. I mean, same. Just yeah. Same. Pirate, yeah. it's fun. You should always steal from major corporations. You should. It's enjoyable to do. It's empowering and you can't steal from a major corporation. It's called reclamation. I'm going to hammer home the point I keep making about the Switch. Nintendo's first-party releases keep running better on hacked hardware than on legitimate hardware. The last couple of Pokemon games you can play in 60 frames a second with no problems. On a modded Switch, can't do that on a retail one. Like, you don't make piracy go away by taking away the legal avenues of purchase. Nope. No, no, that's steal stuff. Everyone steal steal for me do it in my name and tell them that's what you're doing <laughs> i i, I don't... will that okay that's where i draw the line don't tell them i told you it's okay no, no. We, didn't te- <laughs> we didn't tell you no I, I you of your own accord decided that piracy is really cool i'm establishing myself as the princess of thieves i i want i want to maintain a gang of victorian boy thieves but digitally, for the modern age. So hang on, wait, 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 wait. I don't pick think you want to talk about uh, seeking out boy thieves online. I, we may want to. <laughs> oh, Conrad. <laughs> See, y- yeah. Steal. You, moral- you, you morally will have no way to purchase video games, so just steal them. Yeah, Nintendo wants you to do it. They want you to steal all of their games and things from their houses. I will say, <laughs> the, one, the one not as terrible as I expected to be bit of this news is Pokemon Bank, which is the, story- the online storage um, subscription service on 3DS for storing Oof. your Pokemon and moving them forward to the Switch generation of games. Um, that was previously a couple of quid a year subscription. That will be becoming f- entirely free when this happens and will continue to support transferring forward to the Switch. Well, that's good. They recognize the value of Pokemon, I guess. The only thing I will say, and there is a caveat to that, um, you have to download Pokemon Bank on your 3DS before yeah. before they turn off the servers, the 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 eShop servers. That and that makes sense. It makes sense, but just if you think you might ever want to transfer Pokemon from a 3DS game to a Switch game, oh, I might. Make sure you have Bank downloaded. Oh, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you seemed very suddenly sad. I don't. I don't know why that was my reaction. I don't know why I sadly <laughs> reacted to Pokemon Bank. I've got no fixed opinion.
<laughs> I think that's everything for this week. I think we did it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you what, right? You've probably done other things instead of this podcast. Would you like to tell people on the internet about other things you've done that could be available on the internet and also in some shops, maybe? Yeah, well, go to Laura K. Buzz in all the places. That's where you'll find the things. Twitter, Twitch, Patreon. That's the one that pays the bills. Uh, I do episodes of Accessibility over on YouTube, uh, where we talk about accessibility and representation in the games industry. This week's episode is going to be about how shiny hunting in Legends Arceus could be made more accessible to deaf and hard of hearing players, and the disparity between the game's audio and visual cues. Um, So look forward to that on Friday. A Twitch stream Mondays, Wednesdays and Fridays, 10pm UK, 5pm Eastern, 2pm Pacific. Other than that, there's a bunch of books. Main ones right now, Who Hunts the Whale? It's about the video game industry being terrible and capitalist, but also it's funny. Go give it a go give it a, a pre-order. And Me and My Dysphoria Monster is a children's book that's coming out on August 18th. Conrad, what do you do on the internet? Oh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Conrad Zimmerman. You can hang out with me on Twitter uh, hang out with me on Twitch four days a week at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. You can buy anti-capitalist propaganda that I make at pinfultruth.com or audiobooks at conradreads.com. And uh, you hear me on other podcasts. Let's talk about snacks. Uh, this uh, Boston's Favorite Son, which just had a new episode come out this weekend, is, I think, one of the best we've done maybe ever. Mm-hmm. And uh, the spinoff Doctors, which... We should probably record this week if I'm going to hold true to saying... Well, this we're is... going to do it in February. <laughs> yeah, we're going to do it in February. Uh, and, uh, ev- yeah. and everything I do gets supported online through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? It's James Stephanie Sterling. Hi, everyone. It's me, James Stephanie Sterling. Um, yeah, you can support the uh, Jimquisition, Podquisition and everything. Uh, all the stuff I do at patreon.com slash Jimquisition. Um, I'm also desperately seeking attention from simps on Twitch TV slash Jim Sterling. Um, and on March 26th at the Anarchy Brewing Company in Newcastle, England, uh, it will be the next North Wrestling show where I am booked to perform as Commander Sterling. Tickets available at North Wrestling wrestling.co.uk it's gonna be a hell of a night i'll be i'll be there i'm excited i've got my my tickets booked to get up there i've got my train travel booked i'm I'm excited to be there i am it's gonna be a privilege to to have laura um out there watching in attendance uh and i i just i can't wait um if all goes the way it's going this is gonna be a, a hallmark night for the commander so yeah hope to see you there some tickets still available they're going real fast um and that's that thank you all so so much for your support for your listenership and we will see you next time uh goodbye bye bye